0: Welcome to the Human Centred Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Colm Hay. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people. I always say incredible leaders, but uh, you know, my definition of leadership is that anybody who is in a position of influencing people or influencing circumstances is a leader. So there's a lot of leaders out there. And you know, by the way, I Googled the word leadership the other day and I, in less than a second, I think it was like 0.67 seconds. I got 4 billion results back. Now, Out of a world that's about 8 billion people, if half the world is Googling leadership, it shows it's a very, very interesting subject. And I've got a very interesting guest for you today. Um, I only literally met her on LinkedIn yesterday, but I was so drawn to what she was doing. And we've had a quick conversation. I knew I made the right decision. This is going to be a really good episode. I want to welcome the CEO and founder of Recruit for Spouses, Heleth Kendrick uh hello uh welcome i hope i've got that first name right it's a welsh name uh it's spelt with double d but i think it's pronounced with th at the at the end
1: it is indeed Carl. lovely to meet you and thank you for having me on your podcast today
0: and genuinely i was excited as soon as you said yes i want to be on the podcast and we agreed it was going to be today i was like yes so hello um i've been asking you some questions just off air and i keep stopping in and keep saying Wait, can we discuss that in the podcast only because the answers are so brilliant. Uh, I didn't want to, you to have to repeat yourself. So listen, Recruit for Spouses, I sort of know what that's about. But uh, if you could just explain to our listeners where Recruit for Spouses came from, what the concept is behind that, what kind of work are you doing and what inspired you?
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's so exciting to be and I was listening to your podcast yesterday, Carl. It's great. So what is Recruit Spouses? RFS exists really to support the wives and partners of our serving and non-serving armed forces into employment. Now, I started 15 years ago when I first became a military wife myself, and I'd always worked. So working for me was a thing that I always did. I was an editor, I was a journalist, I worked. I'd always had a job. So to find myself as a military spouse, married, and you're called a dependent, I had two young children, I thought I'm going to go and get a job. I didn't realise the challenges that I was about to sort of have to overcome. And it was just normal things like going out to a job interview, I was asked about my address, and I was asked, why, um, why are you looking for work? And I said, well, I'm, you know, and it was an admin job, it wasn't anything too testing. And they said, well, you will never get a job without that address. You know, you're, really? you're a, yeah, you're, and this is like 2009, you know, you're, you're a military spouse. You're going to meet moving on in a year. And, you know, we're in Afghanistan and we're, and I remember thinking, going away from that interview, thinking how strange it was to be asked such weird questions. And so I went back to my peers. We live on what you call a military patch. And we have um, quarters, the military, they're basically houses that are assigned to your husband's job or wife's job when you, when you join the army and you move every year, every two years. So I started talking to these other spouses and said, well, you know, what's your story? And they all just said to me, give it, give it up, you know, hang up your boots, uh, forget your career now, now that you were attached to the military, your career is over. And I remember I was standing in a room and there was a, there was a surgeon, there was a midwife. There was a scientist, there was a teacher.
0: Wow. So you're saying that you're in a room full of women who've got these incredible skill sets, but none of them are actually... Utilising those skill sets because they're military ones.
1: Exactly. So we were and moving, and at the time we were moving every year. So there was a lot, and you could be one one year you could be living in Surrey, the next year you could be living in the north of Scotland, the next year you could be living in the Falklands. So you 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 don't have any control over where you're about to to live. You know, when you put that ring on your finger and you marry the love of your life, you just think, yeah, I'll just it'll be fine, I'll just go for it. You have no idea of the challenges that it is about. Can I
0: ask you a cheeky question? in did you give your husband a hard time because you couldn't uh, you couldn't get an interview
1: yeah and we all do we all <laughs> blame our husbands and that's and you become this is this is a, that's a really good question actually Carl, because what that does is you become very resentful very quickly mm. and you don't switch your your meant your thinking to being positive, and that's where we will talk about a bit later about the incredible attributes that we we actually garner through being a military spouse so you can't just say right well, I'm going to become resilient today or yeah. I'm going to be adaptable and resourceful. you have to become those because if you start sitting there going. Oh God, this is really hard. You re- you will not survive, and you yeah. have to be resourceful and you have to be adaptable. So I thought these wonderful skills that I could that all these other spouses had—how brilliant for employers to have! And of course, there were going to be thousands of employers that will want to employ us. How wrong was I?
0: <laughs> That's incredible, though. I mean, I'm, I'm 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 sort of blown blown away a bit by the fact that you're saying that you had surgeons, scientists, and of course, you know, journalists in the room, such as yourself, but you were simply unemployable because you were, your husband was fighting for our country, which, which is bizarre, really.
1: And all wife. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge, I mean, and so that the problem was, was one that it was a two pronged attack. Effectively. I I knew that I needed to create a business and it wasn't going to be a charity because I felt that, When I set up a business, it was, you know, I never really set out to be an entrepreneur or a leader. I think in school, I didn't do very well. I was um, I not that I didn't. I was I was never really a rebel. I was always bored. I got very bored very quickly. Um, and I remember my headmaster pulling me in, to calling me a ringleader. <laughs> he said, "You're a ringleader." You're...
0: Well, you sort of are now, aren't
1: you? <laughs> he said, "You're leading people astray and um, stop doing that sort of thing." But I think that's the only time I've ever been referred to as a leader when I was sort of young and up and coming. So I wanted to set up a company that was actually going to be a social business. And actually, now 12 years on, we're now B Corp registered, which accredited, which is uh, phenomenal. We're really excited about that. We had.
0: That's incredible.
1: But I didn't want to be a charity because I didn't feel that we should be a charity. And, And everybody at the time was like, oh, you need to be a charity. A military wife can't do this. So I had all these different challenges at the beginning. One of them was which um, we we weren't allowed to set up um, a, you know, a company within our military quarters. So I had to get petition and I had to, and those are days before, you know, the online petitions that you could do. So I had to physically hand petitions out and then um, actually get people to sign them. And I went into, I managed to get to number 10 with the signatures and then I had had to pass a new bill. At the House of Parliament to allow military spouses to work from home. So,
0: really, so you had to change the law to start your business. It
1: was a very small law. It wasn't a huge law, but I had to do. I knew that if I and in Australia, for example, so we still advise Australia now. Australia, we're doing a lot of work with the um, Five Eyes and um, Canada, Australia, America. And one of the challenges in Australia is that the military spouses aren't allowed to, to have a home office in their. In their um, military quarter, so we are able to work from home now, which is which is great. So um, yeah, we don't have to ask for permission anymore.
0: <laughs> so you know, when uh, all those years ago, Hala, and when your headmaster pulled you to one side and said you're a bit of a rebel, he was he was right, wasn't he? I mean, what a <laughs> great rebel you are! That's fantastic.
1: I'm actually quite a goody two shoes, so I was quite surprised to <laughs> that. But yeah,
0: <laughs> but you've proved it, and uh, and and you know. How incredible is that? You know, that's true leadership right there. The fact that you managed to, you were so resilient, you took it to the, uh, you know, number 10, you managed to change a law, big or small, to facilitate what you're doing now that is benefiting so many military spouses. It's just incredible. It's it's mind-blowing to even think about the journey that you've had. And now you're going beyond UK and helping other countries as well. Uh, You know, I take my hat off to you genuinely To what has been for you like some of the biggest challenges? You've already talked about a lot of challenges in terms of setting up, but whilst you've been set, up, what are the biggest challenges that you've experienced?
1: I think um, many challenges. I mean, from a personal perspective, I think as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, um, a daughter. My father passed away a couple of years ago during COVID. But I think you're as, as a sort of you go through so many things as a person anyway. And um, I never, I'm not one of these sort of Outrageously confident people. I just kind of get on and, and do things. But I'm, I I worked for um, the Can, uh, Canadian and New Zealand Olympic team, and I worked for chap who won many gold medals. And one thing he taught me was that if your immediate environment isn't right, you change it. So I felt really compelled to change. So there's been lots of challenges and, and huge um, obstacles in the way, but I've always found that the biggest bigger the obstacle there's no point in sitting there being like a scared rabbit in the headlights, because you, you your natural reaction in any situation is to go, "Holy, this is really scary. This is so scary. And the bigger and more scary it is, the more you've got to take action, and even if it's just picking up the phone and speaking to a customer and saying, "Look, these are really challenging times like we are at the moment or whether it's just speak, reaching out to your team. It's all about taking action, whether it be small or big. I mean, and sometimes for me, when it was really tough, I mean, it's like I had doors. I mean, I think I look at it now, if I'm not challenging myself, if doors aren't slamming in my face, we're not moving forward because we're not um the, the MOD at the, at the beginning never saw us as a, a great thing. And and I remember being standing in front of them many years ago now and saying, you should be really proud of what we're doing here, not trying to you know knock us down. But the challenge for us within mili- the military, uh, the MOD is of face this organisation because every two years, those um, positions of leadership change. So you can have a really great person that wants to bring you in and see what you're doing but within two years, that person has changed. So that, that all falls away. So and the
0: journey starts over again. For it you. starts
1: over again. And it's almost something we have to kind of put aside and focus on driving the business. And I think it's a Dalai Lama that said, first they will ignore you, then they will laugh at you, then they will f- follow you. And I think it's you've then they will then you'll win. And I think eventually we that's how we win is by just focusing on the job that, that is in hand.
0: I'm inspired by you, Helen. Uh, I, and, and I love your language because, you know, I use very similar language myself. People say to me, oh, you're retired from the police. You should be taking it easy. And you know what? I was just thinking about this last night. How can you take it easy when there's a burning passion inside of you to do something? I, I just can't sit still. It has to come out. And and that's sort of what, where you're coming from. I love what you talk about, uh, what, what you're saying in terms of you have to take action. And I think so right I think it was Brian Tracy that wrote the book, you know, eat the frog and you're constantly eating that frog, you know, the taking on the most difficult task. And you know, that's the task that you've got to take action on. It has to get done. Uh, And, and the other thing that really shines bright about you is this whole issue of around resilience. Now I think, as a military spouse, anyway, you have to be very resilient because, you know, you're living without your spouse for months on end. You're having to look after the children maybe, or, 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 or you know, even basic things I think you mentioned before, MOT your car and all, all of these kind of things, you almost live in this, this incredibly responsible, but very single life, very lonely life. Um, and then, of course, there's always that fear of what might happen to your spouse while they're away, because they are their job is one of the most dangerous jobs that are out there. I'm guessing that military spouses are very resilient people, but of course, they're still human beings at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, they are. They really are resilient. And I think, you know, a lot of them will say, well, we're not resilient, but I think they have to find, you know, we've got a lady here, for example, who's Three hundred miles away f- from her family, her husband mm-hmm. been away for nine months. She's got two young children, one of which is very unwell, um, and she is she was on her own at Christmas. So the whole the community get together and they they support because she's too far away from her family. Wow. Um, and I think you know just little things like if you, if your child is sick or you. You know, you've got to, for every time you move, you've got to find a new dentist, a new doctor. You've got to, you know, if you think of the, the military spouses that have medical issues, you know, you know, they, they have to um, start again from the beginning. You know, they've got awful, you know, the, you, you're with a consultant then you move again. So there's lots of unique challenges that we face as individuals. And I think what we don't want to do when we go in front of an employer is say, oh, you know, this person is this, 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 and this. It's actually, this is what the, your person can do for your business. This is how they change. And it's interesting, as, as amongst a, a group of um, leaders on last week, and I, and the unco- unconscious bias that comes into play when they're just around the table and they'll, and I said, but that's unconscious bias. If, uh, you know, we had a lady who had, um, worked, f- uh, for Jamie Oliver, the chef and for 10 years, and she hadn't worked, she hadn't worked for eight years and she didn't feel that she had the confidence to actually, and this is a, another thing that we do. We support and, and really enhance their confidence, build their confidence through their journey of trying to find gainful employment. So, this woman was incredible and we had her work for us for a short while and we were very very lucky to have it but it, it's amazing you know an employer will look at her her cv and say well if she worked for jamie oliver and she's not working now what's wrong with her they immediately think they go to that default setting of there must be something wrong so yeah. the real education piece and the more i can talk about it and as you say there's you know, people saying to you, retire, but when you see one thing and it just sort of grows, is not it? There's I could do this and I could do that. You can't change the world, but you can influence if you, if you know.
0: It's all about legacy, isn't it? And, and, and what you're doing right now, it's, it's all legacy. Uh, you've, you've changed the world in such a huge way in your, in your very tight environment. Um, Let's hear about some of the successes then. I mean, you, you clearly have been doing this for a long time now. You've done so much. What kind of successes have we had from from this?
1: The biggest success for me are the people, are the people that we support and help, and the pride and that I take from seeing spouses that are. Have started with nothing and have no job and no career to going to have amazing careers and I think th- for me that is a you know th- what they can give their family when they and it, it, a lot of what we do is like how they start you know they say well I couldn't possibly work here so we had like barristers that were stacking shelves in Sainsbury's just to get a job you know lawyers head lawyers I remember somebody approaching us and in looking at us seeing that we had a lady who'd worked at NASA you know and these were people that were doing you know working in you know sort of packing up you know working in low level jobs just so that they could get a job and the challenge is for us as well is that we we you know you can imagine we get a lot of people targeting spouses because they think they're lower um almost you know cheap labor effectively and that's another challenge but there's so many things and I think I always talk about my team because they're the ones that are doing and right now when I'm talking to you and they're the ones that are working super hard. And when times are hard, you know, I'm so lucky to have a team of people that are just phenomenal in in everything. They're far better than me. (laughs) They're just really good. They're great. They're great to work with. They listen. And I think as a leader, it's really important to listen to them. So, you know, and, and really, sort of, for me, that's been one of my challenges, and something I'm hoping that now that we're in this group together, that I can learn is how to really listen. Because I think I'm listening, but I'm not, <laughs> and that's something I need to to really work on for sure.
0: I think you're absolutely right. By the way, um, communication, listening, and and speaking uh, uh, in the right way in a, in a way that builds trust in the team is absolutely critical to the the the, the overall performance of that team because. When you you have a team that feels valued, that feels connected, that feels that they're in this trusted environment and that they're valued for who they are and the thoughts that they bring to the table, I think that's when they work to their their very, very best. Uh, And that's sort of what this podcast is all about anyway, uh, Elitha. And it seems to me that you're doing some great work. But um, tell me about your team. How is it that you've got such a great team? I mean, that's not by accident, surely.
1: They've all lived the experience. And I think, you know, people talk about culture and they talk about, and I remember once going around uh, Google and looking at the amazing things in Google to sort of have this Google culture. But mm. I think you are only as good as the, the person that's feeling really low. And if that person isn't, it's about that, how that person feels. I mean, we have a lady, and I don't like to single out individual team members because each and every one of them, it brings so much value but I think about Risilla, who is Fijian, and she came to the UK, couldn't speak much English, and we helped her sort of with her skills and getting a job. And then she came to work back for us as a recruitment consultant, and she is phenomenal but she feels like really part of a team like she i know that it's i always sort of say to my team you remember the film braveheart when you've got william wallace running up down and he's and he's got this small army and the big army's coming that's how i often feel with my team that i know that when i say jump they'll say how high they won't go oh maybe not maybe we'll go this way but i know you know i think it's jim collins talks about um, being on the right bus and having the right people on the right bus. And I think mm. they are absolutely on the right bus. And if I was saying we're going this way, they would absolutely follow. They wouldn't kind of go a different way. So, yeah, I, I think, and, and we know that in the in finding them, that they've experienced that feeling of not working, how it feels to sort of be remote. Um, Rusilla works from Turkey, so we have a spouse out there. So you can imagine the challenges that we've had recently with, the awful earthquake and the stuff that she's seeing and and, and experiencing. And so there's a lot of real support that we offer each other as well. We've got two veterans. We've got one lady who works for us who was a tornado flight uh, navigator. And she has a mate. So her husband is part of the Red Arrows. um, And she is amazing, but so modest. They're all, there's no ego. Um, It's almost like we leave the ego at the door and we, we're here to really support each other. And I think that's how we, we have such an, an amazing team.
0: What a wonderful environment you're working with and what great people, but the skill sets, you know, I, I'm completely blown away by the skill sets. you're throwing titles at me <laughs> that, you know, in everyday life, you don't come across these people. You know, you, you told about surgeons, NASA scientists, and goodness gracious, barristers working in Sainsbury stacking shelves. And, 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 you know, all kudos to you for, for doing this incredible work and, you know, to get the business to where you've got it to, to build an incredible team that's so inspired to do the work that you're doing. And, and a sense that you have this sense of social justice about you, don't you? That I guess that's one of your driving passions, really.
1: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it really is. And I remember when I was a child, I used to walk down to there was a, a, a run of ha- small houses, um, and there was a council estate next to us. And, and it wasn't; it was just by the council estate. And this woman called Aunt Sissy. I suppose she would never do it now, and she would um, she would invite me into a house, and she'd feed me Welsh cakes and always give me ten p. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> That's why I used to go there. But no, and I just sit with her. And she was obviously, my mum knew her and everything. And I just used to walk down to her house and sit with her. And she was very well. She always like, always do the right thing. Everywhere you go, always do the right thing. And you're very special. And one day, and I never thought I'm special, but she was always so lovely. Um, I never knew what happened to her, actually, because um, we moved away. But yeah, she was it's it's always doing the right thing is for me is is really important and the driving force
0: talking about doing the right thing being a driving force for me one of the other roles that we haven't even talked about yet uh, that you're pretty much involved in is uh advising a, an organization called omid international and i had a quick peek on this on your linkedin but what you told me about what it actually does blew me away do you want to just uh uh, explain that for our listeners
1: it's interesting Carl because it's something I don't often talk about and it's it's very personal and it, it means a lot to us to me mm. um, how do how what is it I mean I got involved because we were sponsoring 20 women in Kabul through university, Um, a friend of mine and also my director, Mel Bradley, who's an MBE. She set up um, 11 schools in Afghanistan years ago. Um, She is an incredible person and one of my biggest inspirations actually um and these women were in afghanistan and when afghanistan fell in 2021 um we had a call that we've got to get them out so we we tried to to get them out and obviously it was really traumatic and very upsetting we were actually moving at the time so i remember being surrounded by boxes and i can't really talk too much about it but we were having conversations with government and um security force that was on on the ground there and this is all through our military spouse network so we had um ex-special forces um people that we knew um and just various different people that we were connected to we were trying to get these poor girls out um a lot of them just dispersed around we don't know where a lot of them ended up um and we we tried to stay positive we we got a few out. Um, one of which was literally thrown over. One of the guys threw her over the fence um, because I think the CNN reporter got through, but she was locked out. So he, he picked her up and just threw her over the fence. Wow! Um, and I think that then I met with uh, a wonderful chap called Kiamaz, who is, who was also a refugee and he's based here in London. Um, and his mother is a, a sort of a huge, um, sort of campaigner for women's rights in Afghanistan. Um, and we sat down in, in a, in a sort of having coffee in London and he's like, I just, I, I want to find something. I want to do something. What can I do? And I was like, "What? Well, I didn't know what I could do to help. So I said, um, he said, I just need to find a safe house that they can be evacuated to and I said well what are they going to do when they get to this safe house and and we were talking about women that were educated that were you know themselves that were sort of breast cancer surgeons that were MPs that were and they were so distraught that they had to leave their country. so I said why don't we create work for them and he was like and you could see his face light up. And I said, if you can give somebody hope, if you can give somebody something to work for, then that is, you know. And anyway, um, Kia Mars is amazing. He's done all the work, but he's essentially now helped. We've got 100 women um that are working now and we we get there that this some of them are still in kabul and working and he is negotiating with members of the taliban so they they know um some of the women are being educated online um and children as well and it is very traumatic i mean the the stuff and the stories you hear are pretty awful but also they have a hub in Hounslow now where they they're employing Afghan refugees and they also have a hub in Turkey so they' they're employing and they do media, their're um, training we've had one work for us um, and their writing is phenomenal. So we're t- one thing I'm sort of doing is trying to get people to employ these refugees in Turkey um, even as a call center that is a challenge but again my business is so busy it's kind of trying wait you've got to be, I've got to be really clear about where I put my time, but this is, it's just got so much potential and and the work that Kia Mars is doing is phenomenal, really.
0: Oh, I mean, I need to read into that more um, and and hopefully even meet this uh, inspiring uh, leader that that he is. Uh, And, you know, when I think as I'm, as you're chatting away, I'm thinking about the incredible journey that women in Afghanistan have been through. You know, obviously we had the, the, the original Taliban regime and, then we had twenty years, I think you said earlier on, of Western import, where women were given access and opportunities to be educated, to work, and they were thriving. Uh, and then, of course, Taliban came back in, and it, it must be uh, it must be heartbreaking to to even have that insight as to what's going on in Taliban for women right now.
1: It is horrendous. And um, I don't even, I mean, I had a psychotherapist I had to talk to about some of these stories because when they were being um, evacuated, we were, seeing some pretty horrendous um visuals of what was what was going mm. on and equally to their children as well and and um it's stuff that i wouldn't even repeat to to anybody really the the, the harrowing nature of what what i've seen it, it, the only way i can describe it is that you imagine the worst horror movie times it by a thousand and it's like opening a door and seeing that horror and then shutting the door really quickly um and i think you know in these awful horrendous times if if you can just give people hope in one thing and one thing that they can do. And it's like, you know, um, yesterday I saw Kiamaz's wife, um, who is doing, has a phenomenal career. She, she um, was actually born on a bus on the way out of Afghanistan. So she never grew up in Afghanistan, but she is Afghan. Um, and she has this incredible career in, you know, in IT, in tech, and she's doing really, really well. She, she lives in London and it's how, you know, with no fanfare or no sort of huge, but it's, it's like celebrating those people that have come from the, you know, they, they know what is happening and they want to do well. And hopefully one day there will be a time when Afghanistan does find some kind of, I don't know, sort of calmness and peace. And I think by supporting the people here in the UK, there's so much they can do. And it's, it's, it's an, it's interesting when we work with with people, and I introduce them to of Kiamas because Kiamas works so hard. And I'm like, well, if anybody just needs anything done, you know, sort of it's media or if it's I don't know writing stuff or any sort of admin, so give it to Kiamas because he has a team of people that can do it really well. And I think data entry, and I've I've kind of thought, well, maybe UX design, and I've, but it, it's again, as I say, it's a it's a it's a huge. Uh, Project, um, but he's doing very, very well. Do you know
0: what? I, I'm, I'm inspired to meet him, to be honest, and, and have a conversation with him. He sounds incredible. But, you know, one thing that uh, has come through for me loud and clear in the entirety of this interview, and I don't think I've spoken to anybody on, on the podcast who has been through the stuff and experienced the stuff that you're telling us about, um, is resilience. That's the one word that comes through when when I'm thinking now about everything that you're talking about. Lots of people right now, uh, are are suffering from a lack of resilience or, you know, these unique challenges that we're in right now, Particularly in that post-COVID world, people are suffering with isolation, working from home and feeling very lonely, anxieties on the increase and so forth and so forth and so on. And we're seeing polarised communities, which has a tendency to impact upon us at an emotional level. Um, and I hear this all the time. I get my client organisations wanting to talk to me. My coaching clients want to talk to me about this. And it affects leaders at all levels. If you had to give a few tips on how you remain so resilient, despite everything that you've seen and experienced, what would they be?
1: I think first thing is comparison. And comparison is definitely the thief of joy, mm. is is stay in your lane and focus on whatever you may be doing. And you know, don't compare your life to that of your neighbors or somebody you may know, or somebody you see through the eyes of social media. That's, I think that's the first thing that I would say to anybody trying to change or, or who isn't, who isn't happy. And the second thing is, I know people talk about gratitude and and they laugh about it, but actually being grateful for what you actually have. And I was saying to my daughter the day that, you know, girl in, girls in Afghanistan are are just protesting by reading a book. Mm. You know, that's their protest on the street. And then that brings tears to my eyes is that they just want to read and they want to go to university. So re- realize that, you know, even if you have food in your fridge and a roof over your head, you're good. You're better than most people. And anxiety is something that we we all suffer. I mean, I suffer from terrible um, even when you me an email saying i want you to be on my podcast I'm, oh my gosh who's going to want to speak to me imposter syndrome is very loud and clear and every time i speak in public or i have to speak to people I'm like what am I, what are they going to want to listen to me for but i think it's getting out of the way of yourself and realizing that you know we're only here for what we well, you know it's not a dress rehearsal we're here once and to, to always do the right thing you know is is really really important
0: 100% and you're doing the right thing and thank you for doing everything that you're doing changing so many lives. Helen, it's been a true honour and a real privilege to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to for us to meet in person now and continue our conversation, really. I think this is the start of a friendship.
1: Yeah, it'd be great.
0: And I look forward to meeting you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
1: you, Carl. Thank you so much. And um, thank you to the listeners if they listened for this long as well. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content and of course connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care, have a great day.